Jan and Jules were very happily married. They had one daughter, one child. Her name was Shannon. She was 23 years old and she lived at home still. Jan and, and Shannon were very close. One day, it was Jan who was watching Oprah Winfrey and she saw her advertising one of her books, as she does, and she was advertising Simple Abundance Journal of Gratitude. And the whole idea was, it's a journal that is set up, one, a page for each day, and, and it would give you a place to write down five things that you were grateful for. And it said if you would do this at the end of each day, writing down those five things, then it will change your spirit. Well, now, that sounds familiar. That's exactly what we've been doing and we're going to be doing for this five-week series, why we gave you journals for free and why we said take the time each day, write down three to five things for which you are grateful and then pray about them. Pray about what you are grateful for. We gave you a list of scriptures that you could use each day as well and be looking at the scriptures. And so it's a Thanksgiving scripture. Have your journals and be working through it. For I too believe it'll prepare your spirit for Thanksgiving, for Advent, for Christmas, and for the beginning of 2022. It's hard to believe. Well, that's Jan's idea. She heard what was going on. She thought it'd be great. So she went out and bought two of the journals, one for herself and one for her daughter, and they started being very religious at writing down every night. I'm thankful for this. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for this. And they gave them something to talk about. They would share and they'd kind of visit, you know, what are some of the things you've been thinking about and what are you grateful for? They became a very powerful discipline and they were very religious. They did it every day. They'd done it about 10 months. And then one night Shannon was out she was coming home. It was a rainy night. The streets were slick. She stepped on the brakes. The car began to slide. It hit a tree. And Shannon was killed. 23 years old. Their only child. Her life was snuffed out in an instant. Jan and Jules cried and cried and cried. The grief was overwhelming. They finally mustered the strength to go into Shannon's room. They went into Shannon's room to begin looking at her things and there they saw this gratitude journal. Jan said, I'd never read her journal. That was her own journal. That was her private thing. I, I didn't, I would never read that. But now that she was gone, she really wanted to know what had been important in her life, what had been special in her life these last 10 months. And so that night, they, Jules and Jan curled up in Shannon's bed, and together they read her journal. And they began to see the things that she was so thankful for and so grateful for over those last 10 months. But when it came to the last entry, the last day that she had written something down, she wrote in, I am thankful for life. I'm thankful that I can do anything I put my mind to. I'm thankful for friends. And she listed, I am thankful for my family. 
Jan said they cried and cried. But she said, you know, early on, she made a decision that in the midst of this overwhelming grief, she was going to try to continue on every day with her gratitude journal. And she said, in the beginning, that was really hard. It was really hard to try to find anything for which I was thankful. But she went back to look at her journal, and what she found was she started writing down maybe one thing a day. She would write down, I am thankful for friends who cry with me. I am thankful for the many happy memories we've made. I am thankful for the embrace of a husband. I am thankful, thankful, thankful for Shannon. I want to read you what she said. Jan said, All I can tell you is that in my grief, I found a sense of peace when I continued to remember those things that I could be grateful for. The things I wanted to say thank you for. I found a peace from beyond myself in the midst of my grief. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Those are the words of Paul from his first letter to the Thessalonians. The scripture we looked at on the first Sunday when we started this series four weeks ago, I ask you to memorize that sermon, that scripture. Give thanks in all circumstances, for that is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so what we've been doing these last weeks is we've been trying to look at all these different circumstances where we find ourselves. Finding ourselves living in a world of strife where people are so angry and sharp. How do you live with gratitude in such a critical and angry society? We've looked at when we're having struggles in relationships. We looked at having despair. Today, what I wanted to look at was how do we have gratitude in the midst of death? Whether it's our own death that we face or the death of a loved one. And let's be clear, you don't give thanks for a tragedy. I'm not saying at all that you give thanks for a daughter who is on a slick road and crashes into a tree and is killed. That's tragedy. But what you give thanks for in the circumstances is still things like friends who cry with me, special memories we made, the hug of a husband, to just be thankful for Shannon. I'm not trying to say that all things that happen are good. They are not. Sometimes they are incredibly tragic. It is in those circumstances, though, that we still can give thanks. And that's going to do something to our soul. I've tried looking at these different scriptures. We've been, if you notice, our, our scripture lesson each week has been different. It's only been one verse. Every week, it's one verse. Usually we'll have five, eight, ten, one verse. I've been doing that so you could have one that you can memorize, the one that speaks to your soul. And I love today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. 
To be able to say that statement, well, it, it requires faith. Now, you and I know that when we say the word faith, we are not talking about a set of beliefs, things that you ascribe to, not your theology. Faith is trust. Trusting in God's constant love of us, His children. And when you and I are growing in that sense of trust, then we are able to say, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I know that even in the circumstances where I'm afraid, even in the circumstances where I grieve, even in the circumstances where I struggle, I can affirm the Lord is good and His steadfast love it endures forever. That's what we can say even in the times of having to face death. And it's the kind of thing we all don't want to think about. And yet it's a part of life. For this last 18 months, I think there's been a lot of anxiousness and fear about sickness and death. Every single one of us knows somebody who had COVID, was in the hospital, we're praying for them, they're fighting for their life. I think all of us know somebody who had COVID and died. We couldn't be with them in the hospital, we couldn't have funerals. It has been such a hard time. But in all circumstances, there are things for which we can give thanks. And when we do, something important is happening in our heart. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. And I want to share with you just two ideas. It's when you and I choose to give thanks in all circumstances that it keeps your eyes open. In the midst of your fear and your grief, it keeps your eyes open for you to see the people who are struggling around you. And if you will reach out to the people who are struggling around you in the same issues, you can bless life. In fact, you'll be able to bless life better than most because you are hurting in the same way. And if you bless life, what's going to happen is it's going to do something to heal your soul. It will give you strength and you will find hope. By giving thanks in the midst of your fears and your griefs and your struggles, you will see others who are struggling, and if you choose to bless others, you will find strength and you will find hope. I saw a great story just recently about a young man named Grayson Gilbert. Grayson Gilbert is now 31 years old, wonderful young man. Um, he's just out living life in a wonderful way. It turns out that he was going to be honored with the Children's Hope Medal of Honor by the World Health Organization. It was, quite an, it was quite an honor. And what really caught my attention, I guess why I really looked at the article, was the fact, it turns out that he happens to be United Methodist. A good Methodist who attends Grace Methodist Church up in Baltimore. And, and I saw this and wanted to learn more about it. It turns out that Grayson has just always been so compassionate about children who are in the hospital and who may be fighting for their life, facing serious illnesses, Sometimes children are so alone, especially during the pandemic, they have been alone. 
and he just believes it's so important that you feel connected and that you're not alone. And so he has created his own nonprofit, and that was Inspirational Medicine. And so what they do is they try to connect these kids through social media with other children who may be sick, understand what's going on, with other children who have been sick and now are far better, but just different ways that they can be connected so they're not feeling alone. But then the really cool thing they do is they go and they talk to the child and they ask, so who is your hero? And once they find out who is the hero, they then go to that person and see if they can't get the two of them connected. So these kids get to experience the person they've always admired or looked up to who's their hero. And it's amazing how often people will respond. He has a saying which he says, he said, medicine cures, inspiration heals. He wants to bring inspiration in the most difficult of times when people are afraid and people are struggling because he knows how important it is because when he was six years old, six years old, living there in Baltimore, he was a happy, healthy kid, playing baseball. Life was great. And then he started to feel poorly. They took him to the doctor and they started doing tests and it discovered that he had pancreatic cancer, a very rare form of pancreatic cancer that's only been identified in five children ever. It had already been growing and now it had this entangled web all through his, the organs there in his stomach. They could not go in and operate. He was a going to Johns Hopkins Hospital there in Baltimore. They came up with a regimen of chemotherapy. And when you're six years old, it's really hard to have chemotherapy that will kill the tumor and doesn't kill the child because it's tough. And so they came up with the, the protocol. They, he began to take it. And sure enough, the tumor began to shrink enough that they felt they could go in and operate. This was in 1996 that this happened to him. It turned out that they did a, what was a new procedure back then called the Whipple operation. You would go in, you would take out about 80% of the pancreas, half the stomach, take out the gallbladder, you'll start trying to rearrange, put everything back together with what you could. It is tough tough surgery. I mean, they were very honest with the family and said, we do not know if Grayson will make it through the surgery or survive any time after. Our prognosis is maybe he'll get one year. If he's lucky, at the outside, five. Well, Grayson had the surgery and in the end, it went very well. He would kind of get better and then go down, get better and then go down. It wasn't always just a straight up line, but he made it through the surgery and then through the next few weeks and then through a year and then through two and then through five. I just told you he's now 31 years old. It's been 25 years since he went through. And it hasn't been easy in these last 25 years. No, he has to eat like 10 meals a day, 10 small ones a day to be able to try to digest it and it's still painful. He's on 24 different medicines a day. He's now got type 1 diabetes because of what's happened to him. He has sometimes spontaneous bleeding. Now he knows that really at any day his body could give out and he would be gone. And yet through all of this he's had such an upbeat 
such a positive spirit, and he's doing so much to try to connect and bless these children. Well, it turns out, one of the things that happened back when he was six years old and waiting for surgery, Grayson wanted some time by himself to go to the rotunda there at Johns Hopkins Hospital. There in the rotunda is this ten and a half foot high Jesus, a statue carved out of one block of Italian marble. It weighs six tons. It was given as a gift to the hospital back in 1896. And it is just amazing. It's the face of Christ looking down. His arms are kind of spread open like He wants to reach out and to hug you. Well, because it's been such an iconic piece there at the hospital, it turned out that the Baltimore Sun wanted to do a story on the 100th anniversary of Christ the Divine Healer. That's what it's known as. And so they sent um, Jeb Kirschbaugh down to do a story on Christ the Divine Healer. 100th anniversary there at Johns Hopkins Hospital. So he came that morning and he came just to sit there in the lobby and to see what was going on. And what he saw was there were many people who came and they would just stand there and look up into the face of Christ and tears would just be streaming down their cheek. He saw others who were sitting there and they would look at the statue and then they would begin to write. He knew they were journaling about what was going on in their heart and life. There were other people who would be looking and then they would close their eyes and bow their head and he knew they were praying. There were others, doctors and nurses, who might have come from the OR or won the way to OR, already in their scrubs. They would come through this passage down the hall and they would just walk by and touch the foot of Jesus. Well, Jeb was there trying to watch all of this and see what was going on when suddenly this little boy shows up, six years old. And he comes and stands with Jesus and he looks up and he takes his ball cap off. And of course, his hair is all gone. He is bald. And he's standing there looking up into the face of Jesus. And through one of the windows, the light got at just the right moment and shone down and was shining right on top of his head. And Jeb was there, one of those moments when everything comes together. He took the picture. They ran it on the front page of the Baltimore Sun. And as you can imagine, Grayson Gilbert just became famous. Everybody wanted to know about Grayson and how was he doing. Well, we know he had surgery and he did well. Unbelievably well. And so years later they were interviewing him, asking him about this iconic picture in that morning and saying, so what were you saying? What were you feeling at that moment there in the hospital? And Grayson said, I was scared to death. I was six years old. They've been very honest. I knew I might die. I didn't know what was going to be like on the other side. I was scared. It's why I wanted to come into this rotunda and to look up into the face of Christ. And he said, all I can tell you is I was overwhelmed with a certain feeling. 
And in that feeling, I suddenly knew it was all going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He said, as I've gotten older, I've come to understand that feeling more. I now understand that whether I live or die, it's going to be okay. Well, it turned out, obviously he has lived and has given his life trying to bless others with an incredible spirit. But they also asked him about something else he did when he stood there in the rotunda looking up into the face of Christ. He had also brought a little letter with him. And he had laid this letter at the feet of Jesus. And you can only imagine when he walked away, Jeb and others were there to go pick up that letter to see what did he write. And there in the handwriting of a six-year-old boy, he had written, Dear Jesus, this is Grayson Gilbert. If you could, would you heal all the other children? Thank you so much. If you can live in such a way in gratitude in the midst of your grief and your fears that you can still give thanks, it will keep your eyes open to those around you who are also in great need. And if you can find that strength to reach out and to help them, I'm telling you, you will be blessed. You will find strength. You will find hope. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love, it endures forever. Secondly, if you can really hold on to that, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You will have peace. All the problems don't go away. Loved ones still die. We will still face our own death. But if you can hold on and know and lean into his love is forever. You'll know peace. You know, it's really about having faith. When you and I talk about faith, now remember, we don't talk about a set of beliefs. It's not your theology, the beliefs you ascribe to. When we say have faith, we're saying trust in God's constant love of you, His child. And when you trust in God's constant love of you, his child, then you're able to say, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That's the statement of faith. That's when you have faith. And if that's where you live, then as you face your own death, as one day each of us will, we don't grow bitter and angry or afraid. You can have peace that you live all the days of your life. I saw an announcement recently about a lady named Laura Barton. She had made a gift. It actually was a year or two ago now. She, she made a gift to Denver University, the University of Denver. 
and it was $10 million. $10 million to the Institute of Philanthropy and Social Engagement. It was all about a part of the university that was working hard to, to try to find people who were so generous and find the different needs and nonprofits and how do we bring them together and what can we do to make this a better community for us all. And so they were even naming it now the Barton Institute of Philanthropy and Social Engagement. When I saw this, I thought, wow, I bet that is the wife of Peter Barton. I went to go do some research, and sure enough, it turned out it was. I mean, Peter Barton, he wrote a book entitled Not Fade Away 20 years ago. It is still one of my favorite books. I love his story. Peter Barton, who grew up in a, a family that was kind of poor, his his father died when he was very young, died of a heart attack, just like his grandfather had, just like some aunts and uncles had. I mean, people in his family seemed to really struggle with, with heart disease. Well, it affected him so much growing up. One, it made him think, I don't know how long I'm going to live. They all seem to die young. And so he lived with great intensity. I mean, he was willing to take risks. He was an entrepreneur. I'm going to get out there and embrace life because you have no guarantees he was going to live. But secondly, he was going to stay healthy and take care of his heart. I mean, he worked hard to stay healthy and take care of his heart. He said, you know, I want it to be that when my body is finally dying, they have to get out a stick and beat my heart to get it to stop beating. No, he was healthy. So anyway, he, he got into this thing to where he graduated from college and he was the entrepreneur, got involved in cable television in the late 70s, early 80s, perfect time. And he began leveraging things and began acquiring different kinds of stations like your shopping channel, QVC, all this kind of stuff, and brought it all together in what's called Liberty Media. He had his cable company and it was incredibly successful. He was the CEO. And in the end, it just boomed. And finally, when he was 46 years old, he sold the company and decided he would retire. I mean, he sold it for multi-millions. He was 46 years old, living in Denver, had a lovely wife, Laura, had two children, a boy and a girl. I mean, he was healthy. It really was an opportunity for his life to go, what do I want to do that's meaningful? And so what did he do? He decided he wanted to teach at the University of Denver in their business department because he wanted to encourage young women and young men to be entrepreneurs, to take chances, to be willing to learn how to do this. He wanted to inspire the next generation coming along. So that's what he was doing. I mean, his life just looked perfect for almost two years till he was 48. And then he started to feel poorly, went into the doctor and he had stomach cancer. Stomach cancer. They'd caught it early. He went in and had surgery. They gave him his chemotherapy, did all the treatments for him. And they said, you should be perfectly fine. I mean, we see this all the time. You will be fine. For another year and a half, he did pretty well. And then he started to hurt again and went back to the doctor. And it had come back. And this time with a vengeance. 
having spread all over his body. They began looking at what treatments they could do, but he soon realized he was in a battle he was not going to win. That's when he sat down and decided to write this book, Not Fade Away, the story of his life, all the things he had done as a child, what he had done as a young man, what he had learned, how he had lived, but he also wanted it to reflect on what was he learning now that as he was moving towards his own death. What was he thinking? What was he feeling? What, what was he experiencing? I want to read you some of the things Peter had to say. I am blessed. I have lived. I have pursued my dreams. I have done what I wanted to do. I've said what I needed to say. I have no regrets for the past. My only regrets are about the future. That I'm, not going, that I'm going to have to leave my wife. That I'm not going to see my children grow up. That I won't have the opportunity to walk my daughter down the aisle. That I will never get to hold my grandkids. My disease has been good for me in a certain sense. It has made me more accepting, gentler. Early in my life, I might have been ashamed of this, seen it as a sign of weakness. Now I'm proud of it. It means I'm growing unafraid. Unafraid to admit that there are things that I can't explain and will never understand. Afraid, unafraid to acknowledge that I can no longer control my destiny with street smarts and good thinking. Unafraid of the unknown place I'm moving towards. When it came to New Year's Day of 2002, Peter Barton knew that this was going to be his last New Year's Day. And sure enough, that year he would pass away at 51 years old. But he had some important decisions to make. When it came to Easter of that year, he wanted a sunrise service. So on Easter Sunday morning, he got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and fixed this incredibly big breakfast. It was for the family. I mean, he couldn't eat that kind of food. Hadn't been able to eat that kind of food in over a year. You know, he fixed this big breakfast with the family and they all got up and had this wonderful breakfast and then they went out and got in the car. They were there in Denver and they started to head up the mountains there in the foothills. He said it was a beautiful night. I mean, it was a full moon. And because of full moon, you could see still all the shadows around you. You could see the pine trees, the evergreens. You could see the blue spruce. There was still snow hanging on the branches. It was beautiful. There wasn't another car out at a little after five in the morning on Easter Sunday morning. And he says, as we drove up the mountain, it got colder and colder. But it was such a beautiful night with the full moon. They finally got high up almost to the top. They turned off the road and they went into a, pulled on a dirt gravel road and came into a clearing. And there in the clearing was a hot air balloon that was already inflated. They got out of the car and the pilot came over and helped the four of them climb into the basket. They cast off the lines and they slowly started to rise. It was such a beautiful sight. 
because of the full moon, he said, you could see the Rocky Mountains there on the west. And as far as you could see to the north, there were more Rocky Mountains. As far as you could see to the south, there was more of the Rocky Mountains. Behind you to the east was the Great Plains. It was just so beautiful. And as they got higher and higher, suddenly the sun just peeked over the top of the peaks. And he said, with the first light, all the snow just turned pink. It was in that moment that he reached out to grab hold of his wife and his two children and pulled them to him so close and held them so tightly. He didn't want to leave them. But that was not a choice he got to make. They moved to the edge of the basket to watch the sun come up and a beautiful new day be created. And as they watched this happening together, Peter knew he had a decision to make. In the last days of his life, would he be bitter about all the memories he would not get to make? Or would he be thankful for all the wonderful memories that he had made. He decided on the latter. And he knew peace. He wasn't afraid to die. Oh, he'd come to believe that death isn't the end of life. No, death is a doorway. A doorway into the creation of a beautiful new day. Peace. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.